drop, Roy. Roy, just... Give me another ball. Roy, just take your drop. A fitting ending to a miserable afternoon at Bill Snyder Family Stadium as Kansas State falls in its final non-conference game of 2022, dropping a 17-10 decision to the Tulane Green Wave out of the American Athletic Conference. This is the College and Kimball Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Burkhart. We have a number of storylines to dive into following this result, none of which, as you would assume, are positive. But it's got to be done, so let's go ahead and start to unpack this bad boy. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and just say it. This was the climb and clunker, and I feel comfortable saying it because it is a trend. We have seen this each and every year. He has been on the sidelines at Kansas State. The Wildcats going back to year one under Kleiman, two touchdown favorites at home against a bad West Virginia team, a team that came into Manhattan three and six. They end up coming in and stealing one from the Wildcats, walking out of Manhattan with a 24 to 20 victory. The next season, the season opener against Arkansas State, a team out of the Sun Belt, K-State, 13-point favorites going into that one. The Wildcats gag a two-touchdown lead, end up losing to the Red Wolves, 35-31. And then the Texas game last season, technically the Longhorns were two-point favorites, but I think from a perception standpoint, everybody looked looked at that game and knew Texas was not going to make a bowl, win or lose. And K-State had everything to play for in terms of being able to get a win in the Lone Star State, tout that on the recruiting trail, moving up in the bowl pecking order with a victory to get to 8-4, and and the Wildcats spit the bit in that game and lost 22-17. This season, it is the Tulane Green Wave out of the American coming in as a 14-point dog and making this game extremely ugly and really following a great template. If you were trying to pull an upset, they did everything that they needed to do to make that game frustrating for K-State and they found a way to get it done in the fourth quarter. It was very much a, a akin to a Bruce Weber game in which you are drastically overmatched, but your defense is playing well enough. Okay, this game's heading for the 60s. Can we be at that final media timeout? Can it be 52 to 49? And, and then let's see what we can do from there. That was more or less what Tulane did in this one. They made it a rock fight, and they came out with a win. So credit to Willie Fritz and his bunch for doing that. But frankly, this is a concern at this point that Kleiman is still having these types of efforts when we're in year four. I was a little bit more sympathetic to it with the Arkansas State game, just with the unique circumstances of COVID and not knowing who's going to be available and and all the other ancillary things that were surrounding that as well with the Black Lives Matter patch. There was people popping off about that when again a uniform has nothing to do with what happens on the game day uh, what happens as far as the result goes we'll touch on that here shortly but in year four we we should not be talking about going into a game as a two touchdown favorite and then asking ourselves why did we only find a way to score 10 points that just shouldn't be happening Chris Kleiman's non-conference resume is one of the most perplexing things that you'll see. He's 3-0 against the Power Five with two wins over SEC teams, 3-0 against the FCS, but 2-2 against the G5, and there's no real common thread that you can tug on in any of those games. Those group of five opponents all varied so drastically in terms of overall quality and culture and everything in between. But at the end of the day, the overarching point still stands. You were a two-touchdown favorite, and you, you didn't take advantage of 
talent advantage. You didn't take advantage of the sellout crowd. You didn't take advantage of anything and everything that you went into that game being better at than Tulane. You just failed to capitalize on an opportunity here to move to 3-0. Now, I will mention the alternate uniform talking point just because I know a lot of people like to chirp about it. Uh, I'll say this much. Yes, K-State is 0-4 now under Chris Kleiman when the Wildcats deviate away from the silver pants Dallas Cowboy lookalike garb. If you are a person who genuinely believes that what the team is wearing impacts the outcome of the game, I have nothing for you. It is a talking point on social media. It is something to excite fans. It is something to excite recruits. It has no impact whatsoever on how the game plays out. I have to say that as loud as I can for the people in the back. This little streak, I will call it, because 0-4, that is a trend, it will come to an end. And I will be very grateful when it does so we can finally just put these games behind us. But if you're somebody, if you're a K-State fan who is truly relishing in the fact that the team lost because it was wearing a white helmet and white pants, like I said, man, you got to move on. You got to move past that. Results are random. It has nothing to do with the team's preparation leading up to the game. It had nothing to do with their execution on Saturday. We need to look a lot more at the guys that do have control over that, the coaches, because frankly, this loss falls on their shoulders. And that's where I'll go ahead and start with my game recap here. Offensively, that unit bears the brunt of this one. I, I, I hate ascribing blame to any one unit, but it, it, it's on them this week. It, it truly is. Only 15 first downs in the ball game. 13 possessions, you only get one touchdown, only four drives in which you penetrate to lanes 40. And the one where you had a quarter of a field right before half where Daniel Green picked off that ball and ran damn near 50 yards to get you set up down inside the Tulane 30, you couldn't punch that in for a touchdown. You had to settle for a field goal. And that truly, in my mind, is what loomed the largest in terms of shaping the outcome of this game. Because if you do think about it, if K-State does get that touchdown and there was a play on third and one where Malik flared out to the far sideline going into that south end zone and Adrian just didn't see him and if you get that score there you go into the locker room 14 to 7 all things equal I I genuinely do believe K-State wins that game because I think the play calling gets a little bit more conservative particularly on fourth downs as you go through the rest of that game holding on to a lead especially a lead in which you're up by potentially four points up 14 to 10, knowing that Tulane would need to go the length of the field against your defense to get that touchdown to break, to, to ultimately swing the score in their favor. I, I think the fact that this offense is struggling the way that it is, is not, we have to realistically examine the possibility of this being the worst offense in the big 12. They were given so many short fields in that game against Missouri and could not punch the ball in the end zone. And failing to capitalize against a team like Tulane is perhaps even more damning than that. Failing to convert on third down, K-State just 2 of 15 in the ball game. So many third and threes and twos where there was just no surge up front. 
where play calling was lacking, where execution was lacking. There were just a lot of things you could point to uh, as it relates to the offense and how this game unfolded on that end. The, the, the fourth down is the most damning stat of all. Going one of five on fourth was really what did K-State in in this ball game, and, and they lost the field position battle in the second half in particular where they went 0 for 3 on fourth. Now, I touched on it. Had K-State been able to finish off that one drive at the end of the first half and get in the end zone, I think we're talking about a different ball game. But the way that the game stood at that point as we got into the fourth quarter was 10 to 10. We had just gone inside seven minutes and were confronted with a fourth down and one from the Tulane 45. This is a growth opportunity for Colin because at that point you're one of four on fourth down. And again, you've still had a lot of third and shorts and fourth and shorts where you have failed to convert. You have to acknowledge at that point that you're in a rock fight, that whatever you've been calling to this point has not been working. What you've been accustomed to getting as far as a push goes has not been working. A lot of issues. I even said it, and the people I was with at the peanut down there in Mission will attest, I said, you need to punt this ball. You need to punt this ball. Tell Zettner to cough and corner this thing. And if even if the ball goes out of the end zone and Tulane has to go 50, 60 yards to get into field goal range with six and change left, I'm fine dying that death. I would much rather have seen the defense be put in that position than be once again asked, okay, hey, Tulane's got half a field now. Go ahead and bow up for us one more time. And I, I hate the fact that the offense could not execute on that fourth down to get the conversion, but I honestly, I, I hated the call more than anything else. And I know that's pretty easy to say when you don't convert, but I think, like I said, Colin just needs to take that and learn from it. And, and he, he, he got football-brained this Saturday, the, this past Saturday, I should say. This was, this was a case of just feeling the hubris and feeling yourself a little bit after Missouri. Oh, we're just going to burrow up and knock them. Nope. Nope. Tulane was up to it. They were up to it all day long. They did a great job of tackling. They limited this offense in the running game. Deuce only popped one game, uh, one big gain for 20 plus yards. He was largely bottled up on his 20 carries. DJ Giddens ran well. Adrian Martinez ran well enough when he did carry the ball. But uh, again, Tulane wasn't letting guys get out in space. They weren't letting guys break tackles. That was the one thing I really noticed is that K-State specialists just really had a hard time shaking that first guy. They could not make that extra move to get set to, to, to break a tackle and get loose on the boundary. And that cost the Wildcats so many times in this one. Again, being confronted with 15 third downs against Tulane, that, that stat says it all right there. Now, A couple other things that I'll mention here. I, I know a lot of people want to just dump all this on Adrian. And, and I, I don't think that you can do that because I think that there are larger concerns at play here as it relates to the offense and the play calling and what Colin feels comfortable calling for him. Because the other thing I look at too, Adrian winged it 31 times, was 21 to 31 for buck 50. I, I mean... Not great. No, I'm not going to sugarcoat and say, you know, going less than five yards in attempt, that's bad. But didn't turn the ball over. And, and the other thing that was concerning to me was the fact that you had to go to Deuce Vaughn eight times in the passing game. 
He only had five catches in all three non-con games last season. I think that speaks to a much larger concern about the offense and the receiver room and the tight ends and H-backs. I just, if this unit has another gear, we need to see it. And and, and candidly, I'm not going to shy away from saying that this is the worst offense in the Big 12 until they show me that they can do something in the passing game. Because right now, the threat just isn't there. And, and again, this kind of circles back to that same point that a lot of fans fell into that trap of just, oh, you know, Colin's going to come in. We're going to go hurry up and tempo, and we're going to do this and that. Like, yeah, we, we saw a few more plays on Saturday, and we've seen tempo on these first couple of games, but what discernible change have you really noticed? What, what have you seen from this offense that makes you say, yes, markedly different, better, improved, innovative, you haven't seen it. We just haven't seen it. And, and candidly, I, I think this unit has taken a step back from where it was last year under Messingham. And I know a lot of people like to call him out for anything and everything in between. But if you look at what K-State did on a yards per play basis last year, and if you look at it on an efficiency basis, it is night and day better than where they are right now. So Colin Klein is going to need to do a lot of soul searching. And I think they're going to need to instill a little bit more trust in Adrian Martinez moving forward. We'll talk about that here as we wrap things up towards the end of the show. I'll, I'll touch on the defense because I need to talk about them. They, they were fine. They were perfectly fine. The effort that they gave on Saturday was there. I, and frankly, I thought the energy that they played with was much more noticeable than that of the guys on the other end of the ball for K-State. You know, I, I like Felix doing is, you know, when he defeated that, that tackle and got that sack, and he pops up and is doing his little robot dance and everything. Like, I, I love that. And, and frankly, the, I think he recognized we need some juice. We need some energy because right now we're we're in a scrap with a team that we're better than. And we need something to happen. And I like the way that they played. A, a couple of spotty tackling efforts, I'll say, from the secondary. But in large part... Given up 336 yards, 5.1 per play, only four yards per rush, you're fine. Less than seven yards per attempt in the passing game, you're fine. Allowing the opposing quarterback to complete 50% of his throws, you're fine. That was more than enough to get you a win. And the havoc rate, I I, I know what K-State did through the first two games was not sustainable. Uh, you know, just living in the backfield and forcing all the turnovers that they did against Missouri. I know they weren't going to be able to hold that up the entire the entirety of the season. But you still had 10 Havoc plays, 10 out of 66 snaps in this game, so 15%, so a little bit of a step down. But, hey, you got two turnovers, one of which set your offense up with a short field. You had four pass breakups, four tackles for loss, a couple of sa- like Again, Everything that the defense did on that front was was more than enough to give you a win. And the other thing I'll mention as far as the turnovers are concerned, we, we need to examine what this group is doing and the pace that they're on right now because uh, in the notes sent out after the fact by the K-State's uh, Sports Information Department, a stat came up. Seven interceptions through three games is the most by a K-State defense since 2000. That was a really good team. That was a team that went 11-3, and won the North, played Oklahoma, the Oklahoma team that ultimately ended up winning the national championship. They played that OU squad in the Big 12 championship game, and then ultimately that 2000 squad ended up 
beating a decent Tennessee squad in the Cotton Bowl. To force seven interceptions through three games and to be in that type of company says a lot. And also when you talk about it as well from what we've seen out of climbing defenses or, or, or Klanderman de- or defenses under Kleiman's tenure, I should say, this has been a group that plays pretty conservatively and it just is not wanting to get beat by the big play. Because if you look at the turnover margin in his first couple of seasons, plus four last year, minus three and 20, plus one and 19. Not really a group that forces a lot of turnovers, but the the pace that this group is on for right now, I don't think you're going to be seeing seven interceptions through every three games type of a clip, but this is looking like a team that's going to likely be plus 14, plus 15 in turnover margin by season's end. If your defense is going out and creating that many opportunities for an offense, you really need to take advantage of it. And and that's, again, going back to that other side of the ball where I felt like there were just far more deficiencies and concerns. Again, I I can't harp too much on the defense because I, I liked what I saw out of them. I, they were put in bad spots all day long. They lo- the, the offense, again, lost the field position battle in the second half. Tulane was starting on their 35-yard line on average. They, that final possession, again, that Tulane got, or excuse me, that Tulane, that ultimately allowed Tulane to get the game uh, deciding touchdown. They had half a field there. And the one thing I will say to Willie Fritz's credit, that fourth and one with the ball on your own 29, that's ballsy, man. But that was a hell of a call and all the credit in the world to Tulane for going out there and executing that and going out and winning the game. And that's, again, another sign to the offense that they, Tulane had enough confidence to say, okay, even if we give this ball to the K-State offense with 30 yards to go, we believe our defense can hold up and stop them and we can still walk out of here with a win. And that's what ended up happening. So credit to Tulane and Willie Fritz for getting that that victory and, and being ballsy and doing so. The last thing I'll mention as far as special teams are concerned, no, no major impact in this game. I know one thing that our listeners had mentioned uh, when we were asking for questions and what we wanted to see shored up in this final non-conference matchup. A lot of people pointed to the kicking game. It, it wasn't pretty because in watching it on on TV, I thought both of Tenet's kicks on the PAT and the field goal were a little low, but hey, he got them both through the uprights. I, I got no beef there. Kick coverage was fine. Punt coverage was fine. You didn't really have many opportunities, obviously, to break returns in this game. So I've got no complaints or concerns about specials. Uh, if this game had come down to Chris Tennant making or missing a pressure field goal, I mean, I would have loved to have seen K-State go down and and give him a chance to knock through a 38-yard field goal for a win and give him that confidence boost because I think that would have done wonders for, for Tennant here and where he is mentally. But it wasn't in the cards, unfortunately. But I'll say the special teams as a whole looked, looked fine on Saturday. And, and really, to grade everything out, I, I would say... Specials, I'll go ahead and just give them an A. Uh, They had 37 yards per punt on average. Three of the seven were down inside the 20. Like I said, coverage units, not really a factor. Defense, I'll go ahead and give them an A. I thought, again, they, they were put in a precarious spot a lot of times in the second half and they were just asked to do too much and they, that that one possession you know unfortunately where <laughs> k-state got a little too football headed and, and thought that they could just go out and convert a fourth and short and ultimately ended up giving the ball to tulane on 
pretty close to midfield. That was what ended up costing them because that defense was gassed. But I, I liked, again, what I've seen from them. The, the unit came out of that game largely healthy. I was pretty impressed, again, with what, what Felix and, and Echo and Kobe Savage, uh, credit to Kobe Savage, Daniel Green, uh, Austin Moore racked up a career high in tackles with eight defense. Like I said, I, I, uh, not to repeat the refrain here, but they were they were more than fine. They they gave K State every opportunity to pull pull away and and potentially you know go up by a couple scores, and the offense failed to capitalize. Offense, sorry guys, you, you, you get an F here. <laughs> it's just there's there's no way around it. And frankly, it, it's it's coaching. Uh, I'm this is the larger point that I wanted to make. Yes, there the larger, the much more pervasive concern is recruiting and the fact that this staff still, still, after four seasons, hasn't been able to identify slash develop slash deploy a wide receiver outside of Malik Knowles and Phillip Brooks, guys that have been here forever. The fact that we haven't seen anybody else emerge in that room is concerning. The fact that we haven't been able to see those coaches win any big time recruiting battles for wide receiver, that's concerning. What Colin needs to do at this point is learn from this effort this past Saturday, but we also need to to move out of second gear. We got to start taking some chances, and, and I think this speaks a lot more to what the the narrative is surrounding Adrian Martinez. I feel like the coaches are treating him with kid gloves. That may or may not be true, but I feel like they are just ingraining in him this this mentality of being so risk averse so conscientious of what you're doing with the ball that it's causing him to think and overthink a lot of throws to overthink some decisions when he's running i he this is a guy who's by season's end if he remains healthy will have started 50 games he's mature enough to handle the criticism that's going to come if he has a two or three interceptions in a ball game, or if he loses a fumble here and there, you got to, you got to take the restrictor plate off (laughs) to paraphrase uh, the great Spencer Hall. You got to do something because, because you're not going to be able, K-State's not even diming. They're just nickeling. They're trying to nickel teams to death in the passing game. We have not seen this team go vertical consistently. We've not seen them hit deep balls against anyone yet with the exception of, the little wheel route that they ran to Phillip Brooks on the on the throwback against Missouri and the ball to Cade Warner this past Saturday. But again, we're not seeing the ball get pushed 40, 50 yards down the field. We're not seeing big shot plays or anything like that. We're just seeing a whole lot of underneath throws. We're seeing guys getting tackled short of the yard, you know, the you know, mark to gain. There's just a lot of concerns. And, and, and this game against Oklahoma upcoming is one in which you need to unload the clip. Whatever you've been saving, you need to throw it out there against the Sooners this Saturday because at the end of the day, you are still technically 0-0 zero and zero in conference play. And if you are able to go in and somehow, some way, steal this game from OU, you are very much in the thick of it. And I think that will go a massive, way, a massively long way in, in rebuilding equity with the fans and making this fan base and making these players believe that they can still contend for a Big 12 championship. Because as it stands right now, I've got concerns. I, I just I, I looked at that team on Saturday, and I said, man, if this is the type of effort we see offensively against a an improved Tulane defense, but one again still 
a, on its best day, a bottom half of Big 12 caliber defense. If this is the type of effort you're seeing, this is questionable whether or not this team is going to get four more wins to get to bowl eligibility. That's that's just the reality. You, you need to start being more creative, being innovative. The play calling was so unimaginative on Saturday. It was painful to watch, and it cost K-State a ball game. And I don't know if I could harp on the offense and the coaches any more than I already have. They, they, they need to do some soul searching. And at a larger level, you, you certainly hope that the guys are not so discouraged after this result that they don't come out with a little bit of pop against Oklahoma because K-State's had success going into Norman and pulling off some pretty miraculous upsets and some unexpected upsets. If K-State does find a way to win, it will be four out of the last six trips to Norman resulting in Wildcat victories. I mean, that's that in and of itself is a pretty remarkable stat, but it's going to take a, a yeoman's effort to do it. And, and K-State is going into this game, 12 and a half point dogs plus 350 on the money line and Oklahoma really looking like they haven't missed much of a beat. They went in and just worked Nebraska and Lincoln this past Saturday and didn't break much of a sweat in doing it. It was wire-to-wire domination against a Nebraska offense that frankly has been the lone bright spot for that team this entire season and is certainly one that has looked far more competent and functional than the Kansas State offense. So there, this is a tall order coming up as K-State gets set to embark on its conference opener, a trip to Norman, Oklahoma. And I'm perhaps regrettably going to be making the drive with my dad, my brother-in-law and his dad. So it'll be a, it'll be an interesting trek uh, as we get set to head down to Oklahoma city on Saturday afternoon. So I think that's going to be my piece here today, guys. It's, it, it was frustrating. I, I, I think that's that point's been hammered home. That horse has been beaten to death here, but this, uh, this team is still knock on wood, largely healthy, I still believe that there is another gear that this offense can hit, but I think it's going to take a lot of trust on the behalf of Klein, and I think they're going to have to let go of some of those reservations that they have about turnovers and realize that, you know, Skylar Thompson throwing with an interception rate of 1.68, like I believe that was the number, and a career low for any quarterback in K-State history, it's hard to replicate that stat, and and you, you, you got to, as they say, scared money don't make them. You're going to have to start taking some chances, and I hope that's what we see the Wildcats do because this brand of football is, is going to get you beat up pretty bad in this league, just judging by what I've seen through the first couple of weeks, uh, and even from teams like Kansas. I know fans really hate to think about that, but, man, KU has looked damn good in starting 3-0 and and likely going to be 4-0 and after they take care of Duke this Saturday, and... Texas Tech has had some nice efforts out there. West Virginia, I, I, I know they came up on the short end against Pitt in the backyard brawl, but those teams that were projected to finish in the bottom half of the league have all shown a lot more life on the offensive side of the ball than Kansas State has. And, and at the end of the day, this defense, it's only going to be able to do so much for you. And, and, and there will come a, a tipping point here. So we need to see this offense take some pretty massive steps forward here over the next couple of weeks. 
That's going to be it here, guys. Thanks again for the listen and the download. I appreciate it. Follow us on Twitter at college underscore Kimball. We'll be putting out uh, questions here, or we'll be soliciting questions from you guys later on this week, and we'll be putting out a couple more episodes for you. We'll have a preview uh, with the guys uh, with from the uh, Keyhole podcast that covers Oklahoma, and then Nutter and I will do a preview. So we'll have a couple more episodes dropping in your feed here ahead of the OU game, so keep an eye out for those. In the meantime, I'll close it out the way that I always do. Cats, man. If you know, you know. This is the last ball you got in the bag, Roy. You get this one wet, we're disqualified. I can make it across. Well, then do it. Quit fucking around.